Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. All right, welcome to Growing Up Fire, Season 2, Episode 14. Special treat. I'm out here at FDIC Indianapolis and uh, got all the Slave Lake boys together in one place, cracking a few cold ones, so I never know where that's going to go when that happens. Got Alex Babchek in the house. Chief, what's up? Oh, not too much. Got Ryan here. Everyone's sick of listening to him, but he was with everyone else, so we brought him in anyways. Eddie Sargent's here. Eddie, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, Mario Michaud, the man of a few words. That's right, that's me. Man of very few words. <laughs> thanks for being here, boys. I always kind of like to start off because the whole thing's growing on fire, right? So how you got into this, how you thought you wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, everybody's heard Alex's and Ryan's story, so we'll bore them with that again. Eddie, let's start with you. How did you find out you wanted to be a firefighter and when did you get into this? Yeah, so I got in about six years ago, and I was taking my son back from hockey one night, and they had free hamburgers at the fire hall. So I immediately swerved off the highway and pulled in and started to chat up uh, Bruce Turnbull, our captain out at uh, Hall 2, out in Wadwater. Yeah, it's one of those things that you just, for some guys, it clicks, and for me, that was how it was. You know, you just get into it, and you start to meet the guys and develop... uh, friendships with the guys that are there and you get these uh, calls that are crazy and exciting and I was hooked and that's how I got in. I think I remember the next day Bruce said we, I think we found this guy we're not really sure about him yet but we, <laughs> we threw him in with a hamburger and uh, does that sound right something yeah. like that? They feed me hamburgers every now and then right? so, yeah. it's, so it keeps me around. They're fishing eh? Yeah. When you One think night. about the volume of stuff that we get done for free food in the fire service <laughs> across North America I like. You probably won the hamburger eating competition that night and it was it wasn't even a competition, but I, yeah. but I won. <laughs> but you treated it like one, so it's okay. You can go ahead and do that. Jury's still out if we won the lottery. Mm-hmm. Right okay, so Mario, how about you? Well, for me, it kind of started uh, probably seven, eight years ago. My story might be a little sadder start to it because I lost two daughters. I lost a daughter after a one-year battle with cancer. So during that time, there's tons of volunteers. People would come. They'd help out. So the parents could have some time off, come play with my daughter, you know, give her something to do, take her mind off stuff. Year and a half after that, my other daughter died in a car accident on the highway. And most of the people who showed up were volunteer firefighters, right? So to me, it was, it started off as paying back, started off with search and rescue. And then we kind of did something with firefighters where we, uh, we kind of did water rescue. So it was, you know, if you were on search and rescue, go do water rescue. And then every Wednesday when I go to practice, I just hear all these cool stories. Like, man, that seems like a lot more fun than what I'm doing. <laughs> so then from there, I kind of joined the fire service and never looked back. No bash to search and rescue, but 
memories. It's like, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I can remember. We had some of the, so, you know, so many talks about uh, that giving back piece and being part of it. And, and honestly, I, like, I hope that it's been a big part of you coping with all you've been through, right? I mean, you've been through more than most people will ever have to go through. And so I think having the big fire family around you to maybe help out on those bad days and those birthdays that are, are missed and things like that. Always think about you on those days and see your Facebook feed and stuff. So it definitely helps have those people around you, right? And then when you give something back, it feels good to give back because you've got so much. Yeah. 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 It's such a big part of uh, your history, right? And, and being able to do all that stuff. I'm sure they miss you on Search and Rescue. I remember that uh, you were into that and you liked that and you had all the toys and everything. Yeah. Like lots of cool stuff on Search and Rescue. Lots of interesting like search tactics and. Like when Kelly was on there, like the bushcraft, like there's like nobody better to learn that stuff from. True right? story. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true story. I can remember the night that we were all doing, uh, learning how to light fires. So we didn't let the firefighters come because that would have been stupid. <laughs> so we were just out in the bush and even Kirsten, who's sitting here trying to be all quiet. When we got back and he like showed us nine ways to light fires, like batteries and steel wool and cotton balls soaked in Vaseline and all these different ways to light fires. And we're like, yeah, we can never do this with the firefighters ever. <laughs> this is too crazy. So definitely a sadder start to yours, but you know, you can see the passion that drives you and all of this stuff. And, and still, uh, we'll talk some more about the water rescue piece and how you're still pretty passionate about that, how you're one of the main drivers and uh, instructors in that as it's going through. So cool stuff. Okay, so we're here in uh, Indianapolis, we're at FDIC, and I know how I felt in 2019 when I came for my first time. You guys are all a bunch of FDIC virgins in here, first time ever, <laughs> right? First time I used the word virgin with Mario's name attached to it. All the time, right? <laughs> so you get to come here, you get to see all this. So just go around real quick, first impression, Mario, go. First impression, got here, it's a little overwhelming, because <laughs> everywhere you turn, there's a fire shirt. <laughs> But everyone's got a smile on their face. Everyone talks to you like you're their best buddy after two minutes. It's the best thing I've done in the last 15 years. Yeah, the fire family. 31,000 firefighters, 32,000 fire shirts somehow. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Chief, how about you? What's your first impression? doesn't matter how much reading and research you do. It's well. It's big. It's overwhelming. I try to be the glue that keeps these guys going every day. And I just, yeah, it's from classes to trade shows to making sure that they eat and get some sleep is, uh, it's pretty overwhelming, but I, I would do it many times over Yeah, after cool. this week. Yeah. Eddie? Yeah, it's been great. The training that we have had to do is uh, hands-on training evolutions or hot evolutions is what they call it. And that's been really cool because you got guys, I did a course on forcible entry and you got a guy from Queens, New York, and that's what he's been doing for the last 30 years. And so to have an opportunity like that, to right. listen to him and learn technique is, uh, has you been great. Get over here. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> what, I don't know what he said. What That's do you call a New York hook? Just a hook? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, it's been awesome. Like Mario uh, was saying, just a group of fire guys from all over that are just awesome. You're just immersed in the culture of firefighting and it's been great. Cool. First impressions, Gooch? Yeah, I think for me, kind of along the same lines, like it was really cool. Every class we went to, every hot evolution, you know, everywhere you go, it didn't matter if you were 30 seconds in the fire service or 30 years in the fire service. People were just willing to sit there and talk to you. They didn't treat you like you're dumb. 
Eddie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. It was just good times. Like everyone answered questions. Uh, I went on a couple hot evolutions that were, uh, you know, people that had 30 years with the Chicago fire department were teaching people that were, you know, a year on the job and they didn't care how slow they were or anything like that. It was just, you know, the big message the whole time was, you know, if you're here and you're taking time out of your life to come here and you're obviously one of the better firefighters on your fire department because you're taking that time out to come and try and learn and you're interested in learning more. So everyone kind of just went with that attitude the whole time, which was really cool to see. It's so big, right? You start like go to booth number 4200 to check out this whatever, right? And you're like, what? I got to be honest. I pride myself on knowing Northeast, Southwest, knowing where I am, what street, turn left, turn right. I've been lost for three complete days. Yeah. Like by lunchtime today, I was trying to get over here and do another podcast and I was like, I'm done. I need this next half hour, one, to get out of here somehow, get the fresh air and find where I'm going. And to two, just physically need the time to walk the hallways and, and get out of there. I've never been so lost for so long, ever. I feel like a kid at Disneyland that walk away from mom and dad, right? So huge conference, right? 31,000 here this year, big conference, lots of stuff. You've been to other conferences. How does this compare to that? I would say first thing first, if anybody's listening, spring sensible shoes. <laughs> because after five days of walking everywhere, you're going to need it. That's how big it is. It's Alberta Fire Chiefs, Peace Chiefs. They're, they're awesome for the location in the area, but they're a small portion. That's like the trade show alone is about four booths at this one. So training is good, but it's one afternoon of what they're doing here. So let's make this list. Sensible shoes, spare liver. <laughs> yeah. All right, what else do you need here? Especially if you sit in a desk all day. That's oh. a big one. Right? Eat sensible because yeah, like, yeah. you're eating out three, two, three times a day. Yeah. So you got to plan your meals a little bit, but don't eat steak every night. I don't think we learned that one yet. Yeah. <laughs> We're learning it right now. After you guys just polished off a pair of 16-ounce prime ribs. Is, uh, yeah. Don't get to eat, eat like that at home. So yeah. understand what an Uber is. Don't rent a scooter because oh, somebody okay. will fall ahead first in your group, guaranteed, and it wasn't the chief. So that's... Bring your gout pills. Yeah. <laughs> Bring some Advil for uh, the morning. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a pretty sturdy list. Mario, you didn't have anything. You got anything bad? Singles. Singles. <laughs> in Mario's case, like sleep has not been something he's been good at this week. So, yeah, um, no, I mean he's crushing like two, three hours a night. What's the idea? <laughs> yeah. And two or three Red Bulls in a, in the morning. Yeah, it's all good. He's still making it to the gym. He's okay. <laughs> so the place is huge, right? So let's start. Let's we're gonna kind of go around a few rounds of this, right? Let's talk about trucks first. We got to see what. I'm guessing 60, 70 trucks. What do you think? Was oh, there least, oh, yeah. maybe more, maybe up to a hundred, including the ambulances and different command vehicles. So we'll start over here. Mario, favorite truck that you saw and why? I don't know. There's a lot of trucks I like, like, you know, the tiller. It's first time being up close to a tiller, right? The armored fire truck. I thought that was really cool. It's just basically an armored police vehicle with, you know, red and white on it. But it was, you know, it was pretty cool. The turrets there, they got, Gunnels on the side. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Not a big use for that in the Lesser State Regional Fire Service, but... I'm sure you could. <laughs> Chief ordered one. <laughs> so this will be his last one. <laughs> okay. Chief, what you got? Uh, I'll say that, you know, the tiller truck getting to see a, you know, the ones in the show, the ones driving down the street. There's a yellow ladder truck from a volunteer fire company down here that 
I took the time to walk around. It's probably one of the trucks I spent the most time on and just, it's well thought out, nice rig, it's yellow. And I don't know why that color is standing out to me, but I'm, it's actually growing on me. So I'm not changing any colors anytime soon. This is how I hang up on the podcast. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I just hung up on you. <laughs> <laughs> if I was to pick one that was kind of stood out to me, that'd be the, the one that really kind of sent me over there. That old uh, highway plow truck yellow got you going. Eh? <laughs> old school. Old school. <laughs> Eddie? Yeah, I'd say the tiller also. I'd never seen a tiller in real life before I came down here. It's crazy how big they are and how they move. It's totally different than anything I've ever seen. That got my attention. Definitely the armored vehicle as well. Even the boats that they had set up, the firefighting boats. There are some big, uh, you know, 38, 40 foot firefighting apparatus. Yeah, we almost go with ships at that point. Yeah, like, honestly, yeah. Small ships, yeah. Yeah, and so that was pretty wild. We've got a big lake, obviously, where we are. We've got a pretty nice boat right now, but uh, they 38 feet of firefighting apparatus uh, on the water would be nice to have. Yeah, like a roof mounted cannon that's on, <laughs> that's the, right. on the bow of the boat, right? Yeah, you could drive an ATV right up on the front of the one yeah. we saw. Yeah, it's pretty cool, no question. Never thought about the boats. Uh, I think for me, I'm a, I love rescues. I saw a couple of cool walk-in rescues, walk in the back there, lots of different storage ideas and stuff. It's something that you don't see very often where we are. So it's just uh, some cool different ideas and different seating configurations and stuff like that. Lots of, lots of cool stuff on the inside, which we just don't see very much up where we are. So that was cool for me. Nice. So I've been privileged to see a lot of fire trucks and a lot of firehouses across the country. And I, too, was impressed by the tiller trucks and, and seeing, even I missed it, but you guys got to see one in action there and got the video. That's all cool stuff. But for me, there was just this one kind of a, a dark, I don't want to say red, it was almost a purple and black brush truck jacked right up. Yeah. I was just caught by that the very first time. I think it reminded me of Terrace, old bush baby there. And, uh, just right away, I just started thinking about him and what he would say, right? Oh, that nice red paint, chrome and nothing. <laughs> it was all black. There was hardly any chrome, and I was just like, ah, I got you, Terrence. <laughs> you know, that one really jumped out at me. I love that thing. There was a couple of lime green ones. I, I'm not a fan of lime green, but they definitely jumped out at you. I think they were, was that the Miami trucks that were all yeah. Yeah. green? You know, so you don't see that very much. And so that green color jumped out, but so many cool like i mean there's every kind of ladder truck aluminum ladder steel ladder midship rear mount there's platforms there's the tiller trucks the like the list goes on and on right so everything you want to look at and then engines right so this is like the fire service is a massive thing and you just don't understand how many suppliers there are and how many trucks there are and then you come here and you see 60 70 80 trucks all in one place there was also one it was black completely blacked out with kind of some ghost gray writing on it. Reminded me of like Jack Daniels trucks. That thing was pretty badass. And and here it's all like volunteer engine company and different engine companies. And that thing was pretty badass. I'd have jumped in that and drove it out of there if I had a million bucks for sure. <laughs> Little growing up fire, blacked out engine. So I like that. So moving on then, equipment. So any kind of equipment, what was the, the coolest thing, the thing that uh, you thought was the most unusual in the whole show. We'll go this way this time. I think like for the, just like, yeah, most unusual new things, there was that underwater drone that was pretty cool. Doesn't work where we're from because the lake is a little murky at times. Yeah, uh, eyes can't see it, the drone can't yeah. see it. <laughs> yeah, some of those drones that were on tethers and stuff that 
what was it, 12 inch high haul hose. That was pretty cool to see packed up in the back of a truck, just massive hose you couldn't even imagine. It's probably bigger than most of the in-ground pipes in Slave Lake. Yeah, the 12 inch. Yeah, there was lots, no shortage of things to see. Some of them were like really good ideas that were just built on equipment that was already good. Some of them were just like, you walk by and it was total left field and uh, you're like, holy, I didn't even think of it that way and kind of throw a ball on a Velcro mat and see if it sticks, right? See how many people buy it, but definitely some cool, cool different thought process and stuff. Eddie, what did you see that just really jumped out at you? There was a pretty cool tracked robotic kind of unit that looks like kind of a bobcat cut down and you can attach your hose line to it and then advance it forward. That's kind of neat. I don't know how we'd ever use it where we're from, but it makes <laughs> yeah. you jealous of the guys from like relevant. Yeah, the guys from like Los LAFD or whatever who sure. uh, can afford stuff like that. So that was pretty wild. The drones, what we were talking about before, you can attach a hose line to the drones and do uh, an aerial attack with those, which is, again, you know, just, I can't imagine what the budget would be to buy something like that, but really cool to see those sorts of things in action. I listened to the guy talk about the nozzle reaction. He said, oh, it's just like a gun, you know, and you shoot the bullet and the gun jumps back at you. And he's talking about hooking up a 65 mil hose to a drone, flying it up 12 stories and shooting it in the window of a, and he says the nozzle reaction will be something like a gun. And I was thinking, I don't think that's right. <laughs> I was like, you should fire that up and fly it right in here. I want to see that, right? So it's one of those ones I would definitely want to see in living color before I believed any of that, but it was still cool to see. What you, Chief? What do you think? Well, I don't back up for a second. So you're telling me, Eddie, that we could have saved all this money by bringing the FDIC to FDIC. That robot thing was at the airport. <laughs> just flowing in. You could have walked around that for two seconds and flown you home and saved all the money to bring you to FDIC. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can't say anything because we all saw you like, drooling over the thing when we got off the plane. Uh, to me, the radio Bluetooth technology with the new, with the SCBA mask and stuff, so you can connect to the mask now and have communications hands free. So that was, I spent a little bit of time today with Scott and looking at that stuff and, and I think that that's the way we're going. Hands-free modern technology with stuff we're already using. So that's attainable goals that could happen very quickly in our service. And I think those are things that we, you know, we can look at fairly quickly and make those happen. So that's pretty neat to see that moving forward. Yeah, that is, I mean, it's uh, technology that you almost can't see, but just hearing and talking to them was yeah, cool. Mario, what would you like? I think you like the, the drone dog, I can tell you. Really. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> the Boston Dynamics drone dog that'll just walk around wherever you want it to, and then he'll lay down, and a, basically a drone will pop up out of his back with infrared cameras and just go wherever. Like, stuff like five years ago, if you saw it in the movie, you're like, yeah, whatever. It's that, too much mission impossible. That, that crap right? will never happen. Yeah. Yeah. Here it is at the show, right? I gotta say, like, I was cruising around, and it was almost like the first booth we stopped at. There was uh, a dash camera for a truck that also had infrared in it, so you could actually oh, see cool. through the smoke. Nice. And so, you know, how many times in a wildfire you're driving along, you go, well, I hope there's still a road here. I hope no one's parked on it. I hope they're showing you all this stuff. They were just using a remote control truck to show you different, like, what it looks like. Been useful in Fort McMurray, eh? Yeah. yeah. Fort McMurray, Slave Lake, yeah. uh, so many times, right? Even up in some of the high-level spots, right? So just, you know, simple. It's just a dash cam, but they've added that component that makes it good. And then we did a demo. Kirsten and I did a demo this morning on the Florian system by Microsoft. It's uh, like a command system. 
and uh, they showed us the Boston Marathon and where all the units were all around the Boston Marathon and they tracked everyone and they could tell where everyone was going and then if it went from blue to red it meant that you were tasked with something and we we're just watching it in this fast forward motion right and so the Boston Marathon is like 24 miles long of roadway that they're trying to take care of right and so you got all these guys at the start at the finish and everything in between I just thought to myself, you know, like Slave Lake Fire 2011, there's 1,100 firefighters, the Fort McMurray Fire, I think there was like 1,300 firefighters. And what if we would have had the capability to track everyone more efficiently, right? And so they got these discs now, you sew them right into the, the uh, pants and they can track you through the levels. So everyone's been trying to crack that, how to go up and down stairs and how to track you inside the cement building. And these guys finally figured it out. And so, you know, you look at that, I'm 50 years old, thinking, oh, another thing to learn. But by the time he was done, I was thinking, oh, man, I'm 50 years old, and I can even still see how awesome this is going to be. And it's an old retired chief that's explaining it to me and, and showing me on the screen and zooming things out, and right? I mean, if he's out there and he's buying in, I think that we're going to see a lot of that stuff. And well, I think his comment was, it's coming whether you like it or not. We're going to find a way to do better. So it was exciting to see some of that kind of equipment, right? I thought anyways. So let's go now to the classroom session. So I haven't, both times I've been here, I haven't got here in time to do any of the classroom sessions, but you all went to lots of different classroom sessions. So I'm gonna start with Chief this time. Tell me about one of your favorite classroom sessions that you got to go sit through. I sat through, a, it was called the Professional Volunteer Fire Department. The deputy chief that was leading the class, Chief Buchanan, I believe his name was, he was, it's his passion. He, he runs a volunteer station in Sydney, New York. And through this conference and through the class, I've come to realize that a lot of the East Coast departments are volunteer that aren't um, city and truly volunteer. So they run about a thousand calls a year. And his passion is to get people to understand that to give her to that volunteer career term. And we're all firefighters. We're all on the same page. He really dislikes internet warriors. We're like the brothers fighting against brothers. You know, why would you go and talk about the bad things that your brothers are doing when you could do the same thing. The window stickers, the pissing on the fire, the find them hot, leave them wet, the, that kind of stuff. You know, show up in a, in a station t-shirt that suits your station, that's, that, you know, look professional. And then to me, that really hit home, show up for training. When you show up for training, do the work. Don't just stand at the back of the room and, you know, he called it the 622. 22 years on the job, six months experience. Because they show up, they sit in the back of the class, they don't do any work. To me, that's like, you know, that's, that's hitting home. That's, we got to get those guys, you know, if you're going to show up, do the job and then go home and be proud of it and come back the next day. So that was, you know, four hours of just taking it all in. And, and I went up to him afterwards. He was very Americanized, you know, the 33,000 fire departments in America. I said, you need some Canadian content in your course. And he's like, I sure do. And I said, and I need you to come to Slate Lake and have this exact same conversation. So we're going to see if we can make that happen. And he's got a strong message. And I think he needs, like, it's, it's breaking down those walls. And he said, these volunteers are taking jobs away from their careers. No, they're not, because the money's not there. It ain't going to happen. So either work, learn to work with them or, you know, move on. So Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah city of New York's not going back to volunteer firefighters anytime soon. But 500 people in a town just outside of New York's not going to full-time people yeah. anytime soon. So. And he, he's, his department, like I said, runs a 1,000 calls. They've got brand-new trucks, brand-new equipment. If they don't want that, they can pay five guys to come to work every day. But you're going to get old trucks and old equipment real fast because they can't afford to pay for for both, yeah, so. yeah, and you see it in real life, right, as you go through. So it's nice when you get that message, right? It's, uh, and people talk about that 22 years of the first year instead of 22 actual cumulative years of experience, right? So true story. Uh, 
Mario, you kind of went to a cool one there, the, the water rescue one. Yeah, the first day I didn't really know what to expect because my app wasn't working. So I thought we're doing river. So I show up, I'm like, didn't even bring shorts, swim shorts. So I get there and I'm like, oh, we're going to a pool. Okay, so then, uh, you know, there's a guy who had a spare shorts. I put his on. The instructor gets there, really cocky guy. And he's like, yeah, my main gig is I, I'm on Shark Week. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So after the class, I go and Google. Sure enough, he was. But his knowledge and the other instructors, their knowledge was, like, awesome. Like Cocky for they, a reason. Cocky for a reason. <laughs> like, these guys, like, they do stuff a little different from us. Like they don't even wear a PFD, right? It's swim fins and, you know, something to throw to the victim. That's what they do, right? But during, you know, I probably treaded water for four hours, learned a crap ton of stuff, snorted probably eight gallons of water. My <laughs> ears still impacted from <laughs> diving down 13, 14 feet, but I wouldn't change a thing. It was an awesome experience. Nice. Yeah, it's different. I, I think too, like a lot of the bodies of water down here, some of the difference is the temperature, right? The body of water that where you guys yeah. are is never going to get that warm yeah. versus some of the guys from the Southern States, it's never going to get cold, right? And so, I mean, there's lots of things to think about when you look at the American versus Canadian content of everything that's going on here. And that's the thing, like they do a lot more surf, like a lot of ocean, right? So that's why they don't do PFD because, you know, if you wear a PFD, it, It'll kill you, right? Yeah, like, you can't go down. You can't dive under a wave. You can't go down for a patient, right? You're kind of at the mercy of the water. Still cool. I mean, it's still cool. And then to jump on the internet and see the guys sitting there yeah. chasing down sharks or whatever, I guess, on Shark Week, that's cool. Right on, Eddie, you're next. What do you think? I was just looking at my phone trying to remember all of them, but the uh, one that I went to was uh, 20 training props on a shoestring budget. And I really like that one because coming to FDIC, everything's so expensive, right? Like, I mean, it's awesome to get an aerial drone, <laughs> like, but who has the money to drop as a fire department on those uh, different apparatus or training things that they have? So it was cool because he worked through 20 really great training props that you could put together. He talked about cull piles at lumber yards that you can go in and you can get free lumber that's uh, basically stuff they can't resell and how you can use that to make different training props. So one of them was uh, for vertical ventilation, for example. He had uh, roof trusses that were warped that he got from a construction company, and he just got four of them, put them together, put it right on the ground so you don't have to deal with that dynamic. Basically, it was a free vertical ventilation training prop. Talked about how he got uh, free drywall as well, different uh, ways that you could use that for firefighter survival to make it a little bit more realistic to uh, do some of those different training props. So I thought that was kind of neat just to see something that was maybe a little bit more attainable and realistic for different fire departments to actually get their hands on and implement like as soon as you get back. Right. And so a lot of the stuff is sort of like on the wish list that yeah. you see here. But, but yeah, everyone cool. doesn't have a big city budget, right? Exactly. And even the guys that do, can you spend it on, you know, fancy training props and stuff. So that's yeah. a cool one. It's nice to see the realism in that, right? Ryan, how about you? What was your favorite? I went on my first day for a stretching for success one, and it was all about just pulling hoses off of trucks. And it was it was pretty cool. Like, I think lots of people go to take that class, and the instructors even kind of alluded to it. Like, they do so many, so many classes on the firefighting side, and once the nozzle's already there, and, and, you know, like the push inside, and the fire behavior tactics, and all that different stuff of fighting the fire. And 
it was a little bit different. Like I, I went through it and I kind of knew a little bit from other means on what the class was about, but we didn't have very many people in our class. And I think it was just because people think of it as, you know, like, well, any idiot can get off of a truck and grab a hose and pull it to the front door. And, but there's so many cool pieces that just like, Eddie and I thought it was yoga class. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wore my yoga pants for no reason. (laughs) But yeah, no, it was, you know, I learned so much and I think it was really cool just to get like a different perspective. And I guess on the fire ground, when you can turn minutes into seconds, that's a a big thing for, for someone that's on the other side of it. So it's cool to just see some of those different uh, techniques and stuff that we can bring back and hopefully implement. Nice. Cool, cool classes. I don't have to hold you to one. Was there any other classes that any of you guys thought was like just amazing? You got to see it or were they all kind of that good? Like that's just examples of how they were all that good. I thought the hands-on training. So I talked about the uh, forcible entry, but also the uh, complete extrication. I think a few of us did those uh, extrication courses and that was awesome because it was sort of like before with the guy from Queens. They're guys that have been doing this for 20, 30 years plus and just all the little tips and tricks that they had for how to break down a car. And then it's kind of like uh, in James Bond when like all the guns flip out and you can pick like all the best things. That's what it was like for extrication tools. Everyone was there, Hamatro, Hearst, and it was like, you know, seven different brands all laid out. You could pick whatever you want, the newest and the greatest stuff. And that was pretty cool just to be able to grab anything yeah. and then go to town. And they had multiple scenarios set up, unlimited cars to cut up, all in different configurations. And so that was awesome. That yeah. was, that's great. It's not called firefighter Disneyland for nothing. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, don't let, don't get too excited with that. It doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you get the tools that we have. Yeah. I always think back uh, when we used to do those like one day weekend training days out in Smith and we used to call it the field of dreams. And there's just like, it seemed like millions of cars at the time and you could go out and we could kind of make whatever scenarios and stuff. And then we get to this place and it was just, it was insane. Like there was a heavy record tow truck that was like lifting up the back end of a tank truck and putting it on another vehicle. And like just the, the sheer volume of cars and like the scenarios were just endless. Like you could think up the craziest scenario in your head and somehow those guys would just like make it happen. And there was, cars on top of cars and upside down on top of cars and up against dumpsters and trucks on cars and all kinds of stuff. It's good to know that those scenario guys are out there getting everybody ready. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Right on. Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres Emergency Vehicle. This is our mission to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres Emergency Vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. So you guys all come from a pretty special place. You've all been there long enough to know that uh, you're going to get crazy kinds of calls. You're going to be uh, John Wayne in it all the time, right? There's not uh, a lot of backup and a lot of things. You're going to be doing a big grass fire one day and then a multi-car wreck the next day. You're going to have water rescues. You're going to have search and rescues. You're going to have any kind of fire that you can think of from a big mill to an oil tank, right? And some of that might all just be in the same week. 
And so even though the number's not a thousand or anything like that, you have a lot of calls and it's very diverse. So I just want to take a second and kind of talk about those calls and some of the craziest things you've seen around there. And then we'll link back on, you know, some of the stuff you saw today that could make those calls easier down the road. Right. So Mario, let's go back over to you and start with you on some of the, the crazier things you've seen out there. Well, I remember one call. I was just starting, actually, I think it was my first, when I was in driver trading, I think that was my first night one. It was a whitewater fire in a gravel pit. So I'm running pumps at night. Guys, you're running hose out. You're kind of tied to the pump, right? Because that's your job when you're running pumps, right? You know, I hear guys talking, going back and forth. and But I didn't, my radio wasn't on. I, I flipped it to a different channel. Then I see a cop car pull up. Well, yeah, okay, whatever, cop car. Then I see another cop car pull up. I'm like, hmm. Then I see a third cop car pull up. I'm like, what the hell's going on? But I can't leave the pump. And here comes Jim walking by. I'm like, hey, Jim, do you know what's going on with all the cop cars? Oh, yeah, they found a body. And he just keeps walking away. Nothing, I'm yeah. like, excuse me, I have more questions. <laughs> 36 years. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> that was water off Jim's back there for sure. Yeah. Pretty much, right? Yeah. yeah. I remember that call, yeah. Hey, Chief, where are you, eh? What radio transmission ever started? Good, there was that, right? So, good times, that was a crazy one. So that ended up being a guy killed another guy, and then his truck was backed up to throw the body away or something, and then the exhaust started the grass fire that started the brush fire that started the... So, like I said, special place, crazy stuff. That's, yeah, like, that's a great example of like that. what better way to hide a body out in the middle of the woods than start a fire and have you know, 100 people show up <laughs> imagine those guys that are doing the perimeter eh? I got this one <laughs> spray 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 hey, this rack's almost empty oh there's a body here can we get someone to help us with the body alright Chief how about you I think you nailed it just before we left uh, two weeks leading up to we had a couple of pretty serious extrications on the highway medical call in town oil tank fire, you know, sprinkling a few other calls. And that was just a normal week for us, or a normal couple weeks for us was, you know, we handled it, we went back, we, we got ready. I've been lucky enough to be there for a few years now, and I've gone through the deployments and the fires and, and the holy shit moments and keep coming back for more. So, sucker. <laughs> it's every day, it's just another day, I guess. Like, there's not too many days where we get kind of thrown off our game, get plan and, and have to, regroup you know we've got the people that can handle the job when they come in so eddie you're out there in wide water crushing it all the time (laughs) yeah so the one that mario talked about uh that was a pretty wild one because uh we had done about 20 hours of structure protection to try and get martin beach under control that was the uh mcmillan complex that went through which was the biggest wildfire in the history of alberta that was uh rolling through if you joined up together oh, yeah. it was the yeah and so yeah <laughs> and so uh yes yeah, so we were all 20 hours in for structure protection long day got back took a shower the tones dropped and i opened the front door of my house and on the other side of the lake where no one thought there'd be a fire is a fire rolling towards where i live <laughs> and uh yeah so that was pretty wild. We we're the first unit on scene for that one. Driving through the gravel pit in a fire rescue unit was a little bit tricky. We had Sean Kearney behind the wheel, riding it like an ATV, ripping through. And so some really good driving on his part to get us back there because 
you don't know where you're going. You're driving through the middle of the night, and it's not yeah. like it's a and you're driving super slow and safe at all. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're just trying to find the the head of the fire and try and figure out where we're going. And yeah, it's about uh, 200 foot embankment that we had to get down. We're trying to run hose line down there. Everyone's exhausted, but everyone's there, and everyone's working their uh, tail off to try and contain the fire before it got out of hand. I think uh, that McMillan fire that night ran 30 kilometers from on the other side of the lake. So it gives you an idea what the fire conditions were. And so, yeah, I mean, we were all there for it. So yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. And so we actually went down towards where the body was found at first towards sort of like the heel of the fire where it started. We backed off cause we didn't have enough hose, but you know, you think about that too, how far were we behind sort of like the murder that happened at the start of the fire. It was a crazy night already, but then yeah. when you find out, oh, there's, this is a murder scene too, there. right? Yeah. yeah. That was pretty wild. And then the other crazy thing about that too, we all fought that fire till probably like what, I don't know, guys, like three, four in the morning. And then at eight in the morning, every single one of us were back at the hall to go continue the structure, structure protection. fire protection. Yeah, I think Ryan, you and I wrote at uh, Martin Lakes uh, the next day after that, trying to protect that area as well. And so, I mean, yeah, that's part of the reason why I think all of us are in the fire service is just, uh, it attracts good people like a moth to a light. It's just uh, that type of people that get involved. And so that was probably one of the craziest ones though, yeah. Nice. I can't wait to hear what Ryan thinks is one of the crazy ones. Don't pick Slate Laker for it back. Ah, you know what? I'm actually going to talk about one that I wasn't there for everything, but just to put it in perspective of, you know, like we got maybe just over 10,000 residents and we probably see close to another 10,000 with people coming through and stuff uh, almost every day. And it definitely gets busy, but, uh, you know, we do 500 calls a year and we went away for one weekend. I remember two guys on the crew went one way and, and two of us went the other way. And in a span of five days, they had a train that ran over a person and it was a crazy extrication. They had a motorbike that slammed into the side of a semi with some crazy injuries and a little bit of extrication. They had a, a plane crash, which was unfortunately fatality and a, a whole bunch of extrication. There's a whole bunch of other calls sprinkled in there that probably were pretty significant calls that just didn't get the, the limelight because of those. And I remember coming back, I was down South for a wedding and I got back and I was, upset obviously that I missed all these calls and felt like I could have helped or, or whatever right more maybe just myself that I was sad that I missed some cool stuff and I came back super early and even I got back that weekend and I made like three calls just on Sunday evening um, so it's obviously like a super busy weekend I can remember May uh, long weekends early uh, on in my career where we did like 24 calls in a weekend and uh, just some crazy stuff like that, right? So it's, it's just a weird phenomenon. There's definitely times where you go and you're like, oh my God, do we still do calls? Wide water. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. He's jealous he's not part of Wide That's what it's that's Bruce good. told me I could say that too. Three hundred kilometers out of town and they get two structure fires and Eddie's just losing his mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? But yeah, like, you know, there's times where it seems really slow and you still, you know, do a call a day or whatever and then there's these times where you do like three days and it's just like it feels like the world's ending and there's trucks going in all different directions and stuff. So that was just when I think of some of the craziest times, I always think back to those weekends where it's just like you're getting pulled in a million directions. You know, the city of Edmonton has a million people. 
probably doesn't do three calls of that acuity in a month's time most of the time, right? They probably have those times acuity. too where they, they get that same volume and that crazy little spurt, right? But uh, yeah, that's just how it is up there sometimes. It's so funny. I wondered where you were going to go with that. I, I was wondering if it was like, the, can you come help us find the body that goes with this head or the head that goes with this body? Or, that's that, or, too, yeah. or the, the five uh, drug deals gone wrong, bodies that got dumped in Slave Lake and you had to go do the recoveries. Or maybe the eight train developments in five months that one year. Yeah. That was just for kicks. So it is a special place full of special problems. And uh, I'm happy you guys are there. He didn't say special people. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you talk about all those things and you guys get to see all those things, right? There, there's water pieces, wildland firefighting pieces, uh, regular firefighting pieces, planes helicopters, all kinds of stuff lying around. And so what did you see at FDIC that would immediately make your life easier as a firefighter? That's a tough one because there's so much stuff here. Like say I was still in the search and rescue part of it, like some of these drones with infrared technology, like they could cover so much ground. Like instead of having, you know, 20 people looking, you can have this drone like just do the work of 20 people and 10 minutes, right? right? Like for me, that's like stuff like that would really help, right? Nice. Chief, you're the big money guy around here. What, uh, you know what? What did you see? It's a money thing. You can attack, but it's people. The amount of people walking around this place with knowledge and experience and all the things Ryan talked about in those, I remember them very clearly. We got the job done, but you know, we were definitely leaning on some very few individuals with some experience to get through those. Having more people, it's, you know, numbers are not great right now. And the training, the, the amount of training, I, we could throw all the equipment in the world at it. If you don't have the people to do the job, it's not going to matter. So the training and the, and the people to do it, and, and there's 31,000 of them here. And I'd like to just have a small portion of that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Awesome one. Ready? Some of the stuff that, like the new bunker gear, we've got great stuff. Like, I can't complain about what we have. But so lightweight, so flexible, even the SCBA, like you see the size of some of the bottles now, heads up display that they have in there. They had just lots of great stuff that if uh, we had a blank check and could outfit everyone with brand new stuff, that'd be awesome to take some of that home. New boots too, like the Globe boots they had out were looked awesome. And see, so, save like, some of that. We got blank checks coming up later <laughs> on in the podcast here. So, so save some of that. Why'd you find that booth? <laughs> Ryan, what did you see? You know, I think some of this stuff for me uh, is more based around like firefighter safety and it's a tough topic for me. I, I feel like the fire service almost goes more towards the firefighter and us being too safe and less away from or more away from the, you know, the people that we're there to serve. But I feel like some of this stuff would allow us to go more back to the other side, right? You talked about the Microsoft stuff and knowing where firefighters are, right? That's such a big worry for us every time we go in a building or on a wildfire in the middle of the night or any of these places out in the water. We never know where anyone is, right? And we all joke about the the, the vaccine and the microchips in it, but you know, for, for Alex, it probably would be awesome if there was a microchip in all of us so he could hurt the kittens a little bit better. <laughs> Yeah, I think some of the, like Eddie said, the heads up display, the comms that are in the masks and the, I feel like some of that stuff's finally coming from the start of my career. We always laughed at like batteries and stuff like that. And we're like, ah, you know, this is never going to take off and that's never going to take off. And 
today I was sitting with a couple of truck manufacturers and we were going over some specs for any rescue and they were asking me about fuel and they said, Oh, you know, like, where are you going to put your fuel? And I had to stop for a second and I literally caught myself just like flabbergasted. And I was like, you know what? We don't have anything left on our rescue. Once we get the new one, that's going to have any fuel left on it. And it's all changed to battery. And it's just right. That, that constant evolving firefighters hate that the way it is now and, and they hate change, but I have a little bit of that in me for sure. But you know, slowly over time, it just happens. And all of a sudden you look at your truck and there's no generators left on them and there's no fuel left on them and there's no fuel pumps left on them. And all of a sudden everything's battery and led lighting and stuff. And, and you're just caught up in this. Oh my God, it happened. And I didn't even know it was happening. Right. You forget like how it's so different for different fire departments and everyone's funding is different ways. Right. So you can go with the newer technology and the batteries and I walk around, I see these trucks like, oh yeah, this one's got a 10,000 kV kilowatt, you know, uh, generator. And this one's 25. And I'm thinking like, why do they even put generators and cords on trucks? But you forget there's tons of people that still have an old plug-in crappy recip saw. Right? Yeah. They still have an old crappy recip saw. They still, some of these guys still got like an old tub negative pressure fan on their truck. And, and so just because you're lucky and you come from a place that can afford nice stuff, you can't forget all these other guys that still got to work through, right? You look at uh, New York, Toronto, some of these massive cities. You want to change out a recip saw to a cordless recip saw, you're going to have to buy hundreds and hundreds of cordless recip saws, right? And hundreds and hundreds of spare batteries and chargers. And so it's not, you know, versus a place where you're like, okay, we got to buy five. Yeah. Or a place where we just have to buy one. It's no big deal. We can get it, right? pocket change so that's all cool stuff to think about and, and to go through okay cool stuff we're going to change a little bit of direction here and i want to talk about the fire service in general so you got to meet people from all across north america you got to take classes from people from new york to la right uh, there's some guys from ontario teaching some from canada so you've kind of got this whole thing where you've got everybody thirty-one thousand firefighters from across north america this is still an awesome job, right? We see terrible things, we gotta do crazy things, it's dangerous, but it's still awesome. It's more awesome than any other job out there as far as I'm concerned. So what are you seeing out there? Let's talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, right? What are you seeing out there that you love? What are you seeing out there that's causing you some trouble when you're, I don't know if I like the way this is going or that's going. The good, you know, we are in a pretty unique area, like you said. You sit through all these classes, you look at all the training, you look at all the equipment, and you go, we're okay. You know, we, we have good equipment, we have decent training. And then on some things, you're like, man, we suck. You know, some of the requirements that we're supposed to be doing either annually or every two years, and, and we're not doing those things. There's a huge trend in, the, in North America, I guess, in volunteers. I uh, spoke to the National Volunteer Fire Service Association for uh, United States, which is the equivalent to the CBFSA in Canada, and they're seeing it too. The trend of volunteers is down. Unfortunately, communities don't have money to throw at full-time firefighters, so trucks are rolling out with less people, less trucks are rolling out because they don't have the staff. And that's scary. That's scary in any organization that relies on those people. And the ugly is the, the current world we're in, everything's costing twice as much. 
So, you know, you spec out a truck and six months later when you get in the final stuff to start building it, it's already gone up 20%. And, you know, the gear we talk about is going up substantially. So instead of buying 10, you're buying two. It's, yeah. it's scary. And, yeah, and gear goes up 30% in a year, right? And you can't change your budgets fast enough to keep up to the growing trend of, of the increase. And then supply, you're not getting the stuff. Well, and I think just governments aren't going to let you keep up. You're just going to have to do more with less. It is what it is, right? We're competing with arenas and, and graders. It is, there's no stopping that. That's who we're competing with for money, right? Yeah. So, stuff. Mario, you're next. The good, I guess, for me would be the brotherhood of these guys, right? Like, and the dedication. There's 31,000 firefighters here. There's not one night that's, we haven't went out and talked to guys and just, laughed and talked and told stories and you know not one fight 31,000 egos and testosterone, <laughs> testosterone. <laughs> no fights no. everyone's having a great time and dedication we went out last night with a bunch of guys from Wisconsin in this crazy Bosnian from Wisconsin <laughs> who sounds like Boss Rutan I don't know if you guys know who Boss Rutan <laughs> is we go party come on let's go we party he partied till four o'clock in the morning how do you know that, Mario? Because <laughs> well, I party till four o'clock. You knew the story was going to come up. And that crazy guy went and did the stair climb, full bunker gear for over three hours today, and that brings me to the bat, the reason for the stair climb, right? All these guys that died because of dedication to the job, right? Wow. That, that's deep, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking three sixty. Where did you get Mario from? I thought I went to some tough conversations today. You just took it from like yeah. four o'clock in the morning to the three four three of the. How to make the podcast so serious? No one wants to go next. Oh, it's true though, man. That's, that shit is deep. That's that's great. Something to think about. Eddie, you get to follow Mario. So All right. I hope Sorry. I'll ride his coattails here. So. The good is you see the passion that's here that everyone has for doing the job and it kind of recharges your batteries. It makes you start thinking about what can I do when I get back? How can I carry that torch, pass that torch on to the next group of people? You know, thinking about those different training props and uh, how can we implement some of these great ideas? So you see that, you spend time with everyone else, you're totally immersed in the culture of firefighting, the history of firefighting, and it's just an amazing experience. So that's been really positive to sort of see that passion from the teaching, the speakers at the different workshops. The other thing is that uh, I guess to move on from the, the good to the bad is the training threshold has gotten to be so high. And you think about volunteer fire services like ours, where not everyone has hundreds of hours to put in every year to do training. And you can see why more people are moving to sort of uh, career fire departments. That's going to be a challenge that we're going to have to fight against to figure out how can we find guys that can commit that time to be safe and be out there. And, you know, I'm still pretty early on in my fire career. I know I've got a lot to learn. Being here, I realize there's way more that I had to learn <laughs> than I thought. But, uh, yeah, there's just so much to absorb and so much to get better in. And there's so much more that we can do to improve and then you think, how are we going to find the guys? Kind of like what you were saying, Alex. We could have a million-dollar fire apparatus, but if you don't have the guys to run it, it's just a paperweight. That's the challenge, I guess, that we got to meet. That wasn't bad. 
I mean, it's not as good as Marty's. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> I was just trying not to embarrass myself. That's yeah, the goal. Every, that's my goal every day. Bruce Turnbull is proud. Right now, wherever he is, he's proud of you, and you did good. Right? I think mine are going to kind of tie together. I think the good was to to come here and see that there's so many firefighters that are like-minded and want to move the fire service forward. Sometimes with certain personalities and things, you just can get bogged down at home in your own department even. I mean, I've been a, a product of my own complaints right now, right? You just... Things don't seem like they're going good all the time and, and you can get bogged down in the negatives. And it's good to to come to a place like this where there's so many people throughout so many different systems and there's just so much hope for the fire service still, right? There's so many people who want to move it forward and want to push forward. My bad, I think, is to all the old firefighters out there who can't change. I met guys who are way older than you, have seen way more shit than you and no way more than you this week and they still can change so there isn't a firefighter out there so far that i met before this week that can't change if you can't change or you don't want to change i think that you should move on and there's no place for you in this business because i met some dudes who are 70 80 years old this week and look like they have no business being around here and they're still out there learning and trying to grow and you know it's kind of like the microsoft guy that you that you talked about uh i had a Went to ESO, one of the operating systems that we use today. He's a super old chief. He's a chief for like 35 years. And now he's the senior marketing development engineer or whatever for ESO at the fireside. And like he's talking about all these next level things and how it's on iPads. And right, like if a guy like that can change and can see the good in it, then you need to fit in. No, it's true though, right? And it's it's kind of like that cancer piece, right? It's uh it can bring down the whole organization if you don't watch out, right? That negativity that uh, they can grow, right? And it'd be fun to just like take all of those negative people and put them at this conference. Hopefully it wouldn't wreck the <laughs> conference, right? But to see if they got that spark to fire it up again, right? Yeah. I can remember being at uh, Dr. Dave Griffin's uh, thing. I was in Carmen, Manitoba of all places. And I just happened to go to this talk that he was having and when he was done four hours later i was as fired up as i've been in my entire career to do better to figure it out to lead the charge to do whatever it took to change the fire service right and that's from one four-hour talk here those talks are happening every four hours for five days straight six days straight and so if you come here and you don't get fired up that's why i'd like to send them all here take all those negative guys that are just Everything's bad. I want it the way it used to be, blah, blah, blah. The, the same old crap with the same old fire department and put them all here. And if they don't come back fired up, then we give you, like, that was your last chance. Yeah. If you don't come to a place like this and get fired up about the fire service and how you can do better and how you can help out your brothers and sisters and move this thing forward, there's no place left for you here. And there is. There's, there's people here. You know, I'm a 30-year guy, and I think, oh, that's a big deal, 30 years. There's guys here doubling that. Easy. You know, the guy that runs the whole conference has, has been double that just on the fire service, right? And so you got to lean, lean on these guys and, and move it forward and learn from them and, and change. So all those 30, 40-year guys are out there in the training sessions leading them, yeah, pushing at the front. They're not standing in the back. Oh, they're like they're standing me, at the right? front. Yeah, they're yeah. like, watch this, boys. No question. So, you know, you see these guys with 25, 30 years that are kind of, oh, my career's almost done, and they're starting to taper off, and they're, you know, um. I'm not far off from Ryan, right? If you don't want to be at the front, you don't want to be leading us forward, then 
you probably got to go. And so that's tough here for lots of people out there, but it's the truth, right? And if you need help getting inspired, you need help getting fired up, then there's all these conferences and all this stuff and get on the internet. All these guys that we're talking this week, they're all on the internet. They all got things that uh, you can watch and listen to. So that's great stuff. Wow, that's uh, four rounds of deep and dark stuff, guys. Wonderful, love it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's all, no, it's good. Mario started it. Eh? Mario's the guy. Okay, lightning round. You just got a magic lamp, gave it a quick rub, and three wishes popped out. So there's four of you. You got three wishes to do anything you want to make your fire service better. What are you going to do? I'll give you guys this one also. Oh, she's tapping okay. out. All right, nice work. She's got to write the POs yeah. anyway. I'll take it all. Okay, who do you want to start? Go ahead, Mario. You look like you're ready. Columns that always, always work. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. that's a good one. There's yeah. no such thing. But you can make that happen. You'll have a booth at FDS. Yeah. <laughs> There's some Navy SEALs going, we can sell that guy some comms. Uh, com, yeah, comms that never go down, that always work, that, yeah, you always know where everybody is because you can always hear everyone. Only get one. You only get one. Yeah, that's right. it. That's your yeah. Oh, I'd say just having the guys to be there and to train, to have more people come out and be part of the fire service. For anyone who's listening to this, it's a great thing. If you get involved in it and you're not already involved, it's- No, nobody listens to this. No, okay, all right. Is that, that's not even on, it's not on. I I knew it, I knew it. (laughs) I heard uh, Scott Allen, one of our firefighters that we had, his dad was uh, a captain with Edmonton Fire and he was a teacher and he said that he decided to make the move from teaching to firefighting. So he's with Edmonton Fire now. He decided to do that because he was at his dad's retirement party. Uh, it was for a, a group of guys, I guess, that were retiring altogether. And each guy came up to the mic one after the other to do their speech. And they said the best thing they did with their life was joining the fire department. And he decided after that, that he left a really successful teaching career and moved into firefighting full time. and. I totally got it because anyone who's ever been involved in fire understands how awesome it is and the relationships and friendships that grow from out of that. And so it's kind of weird. We kind of scratch our heads and think like, why aren't there more people out getting involved with this? But that would be the one thing if uh, I could have uh, one magic wish that I would I would wish for. Nice. You got the last one, Coots. I waste it. Don't wish for more wishes. <laughs> Uh, I think mine would be something that hopefully hits everyone and involves everyone. I, you know, being from a place that has a lot of firefighters of different backgrounds and different ways of life and and different schedules and shifts and being able to be available, I would pick being able to have a system where every person could benefit from their training that we need to get done every year. Like Eddie said, there's so much training that needs to get done. We work on it constantly. We try different things, but if I could just snap my fingers and have it so that every single person that's a firefighter had a customized schedule that was going to work awesome for them. And, you know, they could put in the time that they needed to, but they could put it in however they wanted, whenever they wanted to, with whoever they wanted to, and, and be able to get all of that stuff done so that they were, they were safe for us and they were safe for themselves and that they could serve their citizens the best that they could. I think that would be my number one. We need 120 firefighters and 250 trainers for that. <laughs> 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 We're going to have to grab FDIC and put it in on your training. It's going to be a two-to-one instructor ratio. <laughs> 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 <laughs
I just found an extra wish. I'm giving it to you, Chief. I don't want to leave you out. You knew I was going to You get a bonus wish. <laughs> so, so I was, I was, and I'm listening to these guys and hearing what they're saying. There's 31,000 people here, firefighters all from every background. They've all put their egos away. They've all come here to, to be humble and learn, and, and everybody else needs to do that. Just remember what you're here for, right? Like I said earlier about my professional volunteer fires, I get rid of the, we're not career, we're not volunteer, we're all on the same team, we're firefighters. Men, women, you know, there's people here from China and Korea and Puerto Rico and all here for the same reason, to help people and to get better at it. We all need to do that. Remember what you did. You signed up to do a job to help people. Remember that. Go back to your roots, like, get rid of all the other crap. Put the negativity away, put all the turf wars away, just put your ego in your pocket and go to work. Nice, love it, love it. See, I'm glad I'll give you a free wish. Boom. <laughs> well worth it. Awesome comms. So hopefully yeah. Elon Musk is listening to the podcast yeah. and he can spend it's a like, few billion on getting us some awesome It's like we need a satellite above Earth that can like give us comms. We can call it uh, Link so to the Stars. Link to the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> or Firefighting Twitter. What about Firefighting Twitter? Yeah, yeah, Twitter too. Oh, Twitter too. Nice. Okay, so this is going to come out right at the end of May. We're, we're just kind of almost at the start of May wildfire season for you guys so i'm gonna try and make you do it you don't have to but i'm looking for the 2022 wildfire season prediction is it gonna be hot and dry is it gonna rain we're gonna burn up some hectares what's going on chief we'll start with you man it's i don't know throw a dart it's gonna be i think we're gonna have a season you know fingers crossed it's gonna be as far as the you know getting the job done and and there's not a lot of dollar loss but i think we're gonna see some fires I'm not, I'm not a welfare guy to make a prediction of how many hectares, but I think it's going to be more than usual years. Eddie, you're next. So I'm always 100% wrong with every prediction I ever make, so I'm going to throw that out there right away. Um, it's going to rain. <laughs> it's going to rain. <laughs> I feel it. I think right now it feels like uh, the conditions are right to have uh, some fires go. We've already had a few that have happened early, earlier than they normally happen, like uh, in the season around our region. So... You know, with those fine fuels dried out right now, it all depends on what happens between now and the 1st of June. That seems to be, you know, monsoon June is always the joke before the poplars green up that we've got that sort of shot before. So if you get up, you know, hot weather with uh, some winds, then it'll happen for sure. I hope that we don't have anything bad happen, but there's always a part of you that, you know, wants to use your training. We train all the time. You know, I think we'll be ready if something does. So some does small go up. fires. Some small fires. Off. On the days off where I'm available, if I miss it, I will be crushed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, I think probably like you were saying, Alex, uh, I don't see the, you know, McMillan complex happening again, but I think that uh, the fuel load and sort of the earlier dry uh, season that we've had, we're probably going to get some some good ones this year. You know, we've had rain and snow. <laughs> I was not aware of that. No. <laughs> All right, Mario, you're up. My predictions are probably worse than Eddie's, but I think we've learned enough from, you know, past big fires that communities are being protected, I'm thinking for the most part. But as for, you know, wildfires, it's kind of a crapshoot. Like it's, you know, if it stays wet enough before we flood in June, then we should be okay. <laughs> I'm not looking for how it works. I'm looking to know. That was what do you think? <laughs> Give me a. It's going to be a bad one. It's going to be okay. It's going to be a wet season. We don't have to. Worry. I, I don't know the way it's looking. at like before we left, it looked like it was going to be pretty dry. So, yeah, the odds of it be another That's bad true. one. All right, throw it out of them. We got it. Coots, what do you think? I'm going to say sorry to these guys because they all just gave their predictions. 
but I got told <laughs> a long time ago that only rookies predict fire season, so I'm just going to leave that. You can't that. say that. It's <laughs> that's, that's too late. Darius Melnichuk, right, who just left us, and we all know he's a great wildland firefighter. He wasn't big on predictions either, but he would always <laughs> say, right, rainy years in Australia are going to be bad fire years for us. If it starts early in the States, it's going to come up to Canada because we just don't green up fast enough to, to make the difference. And so I'm going to say with everything I've seen, everything that's going on in the world, all of the weather that I've watched over all those years, it's going to be uh, moderate to high fire load this year. So that's not to say where it's going to be, right? And this is my cop of it because it could be busy in BC, <laughs> Slow in Alberta like it was last year. It could be busy in Ontario, but slow in BC. You don't know, right? But I think you're going to see enough fire load to keep everybody on their toes and test out the equipment in their training. I like to think, like Mario, that we've, you know, enough lessons observed that we finally actually started to stop observing them and start turning them into lessons learned so we could stop it quick and get it done. So here's hoping a month from now we're all listening to this and uh, going, oh, wow. So just wait, since we all took the easy way out, and no one took like a pinpoint. <laughs> Kirsten, what do you think? I think you're gonna be busy, all of you. There you go. We got Ooh, the pinpoint. The only, <laughs> the only one, one person puts it all on the line. Gotta love it. All right. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Season two, episode 14. Couldn't uh, be hanging out with a better crew, guys. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you being here at FDIC and hanging out with me tonight. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.